All right, hello. Welcome to the Rogo Tours podcast. My name is Chad Durham. I am Jacob Hampton. I'm Eric Wood. And we uh, are uh, still recording uh, remotely, digitally, whatever whatever the correct term is. So we apologize once again for our, uh, you know, semi less effective audio. But hopefully you'll be able to hear most of what we say. And <clears throat> excuse me, except for my throat, apparently. And we are going to try to uh, make sure mostly one of us is talking at a time. So hopefully you can make out everything that we're saying. Um, this episode was um, a, a little bit different than anything we've done before, just in the way that we called it the assignment episode, and I guess more accurately, assignment episode number one, because we, we think we may end up doing this again. And that was um, each of us assigned one of the other uh, members a movie to watch, something that we think is good, something that we think is worth discussing, something that's available on some streaming site. So that if any of you out there want to watch it after this, that you have the you know opportunity, the avenue to do so. And so we're going to just lead three small discussions about each of these three movies. One of which uh, was directed by the guy who directed Parasite, um, that Snowpiercer, which is available on Netflix. One of which is considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, by some people, war movie of all time directed by the director of The Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola. That's Apocalypse Now, which is available on HBO Go. And the last one, uh, for some people, after it came out over the last 20, 25 years, has become something considered one of the greatest movies of all time. If you go on IMDb, it's usually in the top three, sometimes the top one, uh, and that is The Shawshank Redemption. So those are the three movies we're gonna discuss today. We don't necessarily have a set number of questions um, but we're just going to jump in. So you're going to hear, hear a little bit from, from me still. I'll just keep on rolling. Um, the first movie I assigned Mr. Eric Wood to watch Snowpiercer. Um, I was a huge fan of Parasite. I saw Parasite with Eric. And um, when I heard Eric had not seen Snowpiercer, I was like, oh, that would be, that'd be a pretty, pretty cool one. Um, so first off, Eric, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, as far as Parasite goes, Parasite, you know, just one best picture. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. It was my favorite movie of last year. Uh, thematically, okay, before, I guess before I even say that, I should say what Snowpiercer is about very briefly, which is in like a post-apocalyptic, uh, not even post-apocalyptic, post-climate change society. Like I think the it's apocalyptic, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the world has basically uh, is in another ice age and everyone who lives in society lives on a, this huge train uh, a snow piercer in fact because when the snow gets on the track they can they can go right through it and basically on this train we have all the the castes or, or levels of society we have people way at the back of the train who are in poverty someone way up at the front who makes all the decisions, excuse me, and then a lot of other like kind of social classes in between through all these, these train, uh, what's, what's the name of each of the, not a cart, cart, train cart, I don't know, <laughs> each of the things. Uh, anyway, and, and Bong Joon-ho, much, yeah, much like in Parasite, 
is making some comments on uh, social classes and social climbing and distribution of wealth and the way society runs. So I wanted to start right out with that. Do you think here Bong was saying very similar things to what he said in Parasite? Yes, in, I mean, for me, I, I watched, you know, Parasite uh, before. Yeah. We had talked about Snowpiercer. We had had some casual conversations about it. Yeah. And I was interested yeah. in it when, when it first came out. I think it went to Netflix and it's been there the whole time. Been there for a um, long time. Yeah, and it sounded interesting. I mean, we were coworkers at the time. I remember we got brought up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to see that. And it was always one that I was like, ah, I need to see that. Never did. And uh, to this assignment. Definitely parallels with the class. I mean, I think that's just something that Bong is is very much drawn to. Yeah. And I think it's something he does really well. Stronger in Parasite for me. Um, but you can see it seems like just a little unpolished in some some ways. Okay. But also very entertaining in a sci-fi sort of post-apocalypse yeah. style. Like if that's your thing, it, it's got more of the action feel. I mean, it's got Chris Evans is a big standout performance in it. Yeah, I like the tagline, fight your way to the front. <laughs> uh, and uh, my, like, my mini review of it was basically, you know, surviving man on, man on train survives through different uh, tyranny, you know, just like yeah. uh, uh, just a whole new, the world is different, things are different. And it's a creative, fun, different interpretation of that was my... Um, my first initial reactions to it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you said sci-fi. You feel like, would you categorize it as science fiction? Uh, I mean, because of the nature elements, the uh, environmental stuff, probably. Like, I, I, I have a very broad definition of it. Sure. Like, I mean, you're not spaceships or, you know, world traveling and stuff. But yeah. No real aliens or anything like that. But I think sure. it's kind of a, a psychological study of, you know, class in a post-apocalyptic sci-fi-esque world i don't know yeah yeah well it was sci-fi light I don't know. <laughs> well yeah and definitely when you're comparing it to something like parasite you know a lot less realistic than parasite as far as parasite takes place today in a society we can recognize and also we didn't say this but snowpiercer is the only english language film of bong joon ho's all the rest yeah. are yeah all the rest are foreign language um only of his uh yeah 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 how, how do you think chris how do you think chris evans did that's kind of the draw for people i think on netflix you see chris evans and it's like chris evans in this kind of weird movie i think there are some funny some funny parallels to like just i mean chris evans i like chris evans big chris evans guy um but there are just some funny things with him i feel like uh, so i did some research on it um i looked up some of the reactions that that bong had bong i guess was a little worried about casting him as that role um just because he was at that time he'd already done he'd done a captain America. marvel stuff yeah he was a good sized man like he's he's big like i mean one of the opening scenes you have him standing there kind of drawing attention to himself almost and yeah and you can see how that um plays into it but i feel like it plays around with the action you know action tropes and 
that worked for me. Like I like action movies. I like Chris Evans and all that stuff. I thought Chris Evans was good. Um, I thought it it was one of the main draws for me and why I wanted to watch it too. It's like, oh, I like Chris Evans. Yeah, he's Captain yeah. America. You know, like there's sometimes I feel like you slip into like it's kind of action movie. Okay, is this Marvel? Is it, you know, like. And I, I don't think it's anything to do with how Bong has it set up. It's just like you recognize Chris Evans. Oh, Chris Evans is fighting someone. Oh, Chris Evans, Captain America is going to win, you know? like Yeah, yeah. I thought he's good. Well, it's interesting you bring up the action movie thing because that's, that's a thing that's really interesting for me is Snowpiercer for, I don't know, 75% of the running time plays like an action movie. Mm-hmm. Just with these really interesting ideas underneath. Much more than something like Parasite, which, yes, Parasite plays at the beginning like a, like a dark comedy, and there's thriller elements, but it's more like the, the themes take center stage, whereas the action here sometimes seems to take center stage, but it's really cool action, like when the guys put on the, the night vision goggles, and then they bring in the torches so that they can kind of combat that. Like, that's the stuff that stuck out to me the first time, because I rewatched it to discuss it. That, that's like really well done stuff. Um, like action movie stuff, but there's a lot of dark themes underneath. Like at the end, when Chris Evans tells the story, and people are losing limbs, and you've got the people addicted, addicted to drugs. Down. Sorry, what's that, Eric? Oh, that's one of the notes that I had down here too. Is um, some memorable scenes and some things that stood out to me. Yeah. In my just time watching of it, like Chris Evans was one of the standout performances that scene in particular where you're, you're referencing where yeah. he's kind of talking about what happened that you don't see. For me, that was maybe one of my criticisms is I thought like that was more one of the more engaging parts. I'm like, Oh, show me some of that. Give me some of that. Like give me some of that at the beginning, hook me early. Cause for me, I wasn't super into it. Like I was watching the first little bit and it slow burned me into like being more interested in it. I think yeah. that scene in particular, I found really interesting when they jump from train car to train car, when you see different, yeah well that's when it really starts rolling that's when you really start going oh this movie is interesting yeah this is this is doing some different things yeah not some bong-esque things now that we have (laughs) now that i know bong a little bit more yeah yeah the production design is fantastic and the cinematography is really good and then the the guy from parasite who plays like the drug addicted like security guy or whatever he and his like Uh, kang ho song is that yeah yeah Uh uh-huh and then the, so I the, really like. I thought he was. I thought he was more compelling than Chris Evans. Like, yeah, he was great. I was, I was really into him. I was like, "Where are we going with this? All right, this is great." You know, like I really. I thought he. It made me respect him even more from Parasite. To be honest, like I, I was like, yeah. "This dude's been doing it, man. Give this guy some love." Yeah, yeah. Well, and I just love. They're so. I, I used to say like it's a batch crazy movie. Snowpiercer, and I love, I love that about it. Like they pull him out of the like little thing, and he's like asleep, and they like wake him up, and they're like, "We'll give you drugs if you help us." And he's like, "You bet, then." <laughs> like I will definitely, <laughs> if you give me the drugs. I'll give that is when, that is when he really sold me on how intriguing this. That's when I hook, line, and sinker. I was, I was in on that. <laughs> and then yeah, and then of course they have fun. You get the final. Ed Harris gets to show up at the end and kind of be the you know the the character he was in the Truman Show, you know, like benevolent. Much, yeah. not, not benevolent. They're like all um, knowing guy. Yeah. So there was two, I think two things we haven't touched on that I, I thought were interesting with it. Yeah, do it. 
So, have you looked into any? Have you heard any about this Harvey Weinstein and Bong like? And the fish scene. The fish scene, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read that. I read about that when Parasite won. That that story started making the rounds again. How he wanted to cut cut the part with the fish, and he Weinstein did, and so Bong told some story about how his dad was a fisherman, <laughs> and so Weinstein's like, "You can keep it in," and then Bong was like, "My dad's not a fisherman. I made that whole thing up." <laughs> the quote I believe is, "I was." I was effing lying. Yeah. My father was not a fisherman. <laughs> yep, yep. Every time I saw it quoted that way, yes. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. But I guess Weinstein's really well known for editing and cutting people's yeah. movies up, and Bong's just like, no. <laughs> I'll do whatever I can. It's funny, too, because I feel like, I mean, this sounds like weird because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the movie, but I feel like they could have probably cut that fish thing and it would have been fine, but... Yeah. But yeah. watching it this time, I was like, oh, I love that. He got to keep this in just by lying. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, the other thing, what was it? So there were two other things. I'm going to save the second one for just a minute. Now, I was unfamiliar with the source material on this, but I, I looked it up, and apparently it comes from a comic. Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. So I guess it is like a French comic. I want to nice. say French, but I'm missing stuff in my notes but it's like a comic and so what i understand is there is also a tv series either coming out or just started yeah, it's coming you, with with david diggs that's why i was excited about it because i like david diggs a lot girl from uh, requiem for a dream jennifer connelly yeah jennifer connelly yeah 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 it's I'm supposed to come soon that. yeah it's i mean there's there's a trailer on there i i i didn't get to look into that as much as i wanted to but I'm yeah. interested in that. I think there is a lot that was condensed, and I feel like because of that, some of it's a little cluttered for me. Sure. But um, and then the last thing I was just interested about with your thoughts on it, just being in education, the education scene I think is a pretty memorable scene. Yeah. And very. How that plays into one of the cars is like children, you know, brainwashing or, or educating being done. I just oh yeah. To see what your that were. I thought that was kind of memorable. Well, it's oh yeah, it's super. Remember, is it Allison Pill? I think that plays the the teacher. Not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. And she's oh. like pregnant, and then they're like telling the story of Will, and then it turns into a super violent scene right after that because they like. It, that's a real. It's a really well done scene, and it shows again what Bong does, which is that melding of like tones, like he does in Parasite, where you're seeing one thing, and then suddenly it's completely changing. And yet underneath, you're still feeling like, oh, I understand why we're doing this. Oh, yeah. I think from the minute that they fight those guys with the axes, like the movie just does not let up. And it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's actiony, but it's thoughtful and it's weird. And they, all the fight scenes are staged so elegantly while at the same time feeling really messy. You have that one guy who like won't die and he keeps like, you know, fighting with everyone and almost dying. But yeah, the, the education scene, it's, again, when you talk about social commentary, he's adding just a little bit there, too, about, like, how education shapes our minds, how whatever the teacher believes is what we pass on to the kids, you know, and I mean, you can look at that in good ways and bad ways, I guess. The, the last thing, I didn't have this on my notes, but I got thinking of it in our conversation, is... Uh... The food as they're created, that was one of the, that was where, that for me, it was like the action scene was there, but I was already bought in when they, 
when they take King Ho's song out of that place, and then when they get to where they're making their food, the food they've been eating, uh -huh. you see how that, <laughs> that to me, I'm like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. And I think uh, one last comment, uh, Tilda Swinton, fantastic as like this kind of spokesperson or whatever. Um, Cause she's just always amazing and so weird and everything that she does. And I love to see the different way and that just her whole hair and makeup and everything. And here's what I'd say to the pe people listening. If you haven't seen Snowpiercer and you like Parasite or you like Chris Evans or you like Bong or you just want to see something that's going to do lots of different things, like check it out on, on Netflix. Yeah. It's, it's worth a watch and it's, like I said, I think it'll hook you if you give it a chance. It's yeah. entertaining. And 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 it and it still makes me think a lot about what you know all these things. Like it's a big it's a big thing for Bong and the idea of what the social class system does and how unfair or fair it is, etc. It, it asks a lot of interesting questions. I'd like to see him see him do more English type stuff. Like I know he's into the subtitles. I know he like, but I thought it was done so well. I'd like to see him do it again or a follow up. I guess there's a series of these comics, so I mean that's why I think no, it lends itself to be pretty well. But right, it'd be interesting. And and just like just like uh, Parasite, lots of ambiguity with the end. Now, I don't mean ambiguity like you don't know what happens. You know what happens, but you're like there's not a closed off obvious, yay, and there's not a you obvious you know. Swoop in with a sequel if you wanted to, like just yeah, yeah. One with relative ease. Yes, indeed. All right, Jake, sorry, you've been sitting there so patiently. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I haven't seen Snowpiercer since it came out in theaters in 2014. Oh, no way. So, and my movie memory is terrible. So I, all I remember is, I remember Octavia Spencer was there, and that yeah. was fun because I only really knew her yeah. from the help. So it was like, oh, now she's in this weird sci-fi set. Completely different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I do remember there being an education scene like that stands out in my memory still just can't remember what happened in it and lots of striking colors and cinematography as yeah the, parts as the well. production design of the different parts of the train is is really cool yeah yep all right jake do you 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 uh, take over i mean I, you you're still going to hear my voice a lot on this one everyone out there but take over and take us on an apocalypse now journey <laughs> on a journey all right well uh I mean, I would say it's probably one of the most famous movies of all time, uh, somewhere in that echelon. So uh, people may not uh, need too much of a summary of what it is, but uh, it's a movie made, uh, Chad already told us, by Francis Ford Coppola, um, <clears throat> set uh, during the Vietnam War. It is, right? Yes. Yeah, yep. in Vietnam. Um, and uh, about a uh, captain who was ordered uh, to go on a secret mission to kill a uh, colonel who has like gone kind of crazy basically and is hiding way out in the jungle. Whoops. So uh, <clears throat> that's the basic idea and it gets weird, um, but it has a super high esteem. It has ever since it came out in 1979. So Chad had not seen it, so I uh, thought it would be interesting for him to watch it uh, for the first time. So I wanted to know, Chad, what uh, kind of expectations did you have going in? Like, how uh, 
present had Apocalypse Now been in your kind of movie knowledge of what classics are? And uh, also, I want to know, did you think you would like it as you went into it? Yeah, no, that's, uh, those are really actually, yeah, great questions as far as Apocalypse Now goes. We've talked before on the podcast, I, I believe, about how I, uh, I don't love war movies. Jake doesn't love war movies. I feel like often they are weirdly dramatically inert for me, and it's probably because I don't have that experience. I don't take anything away from people who love war movies, and I know they're very striking, and they're very, they, their violence can be very like thematically resonant. But Apocalypse Now was one that part of the reason I'd never seen it is because it's a war movie. Um, but I was really, really intrigued. Like, man, what am I going to think about this movie? I feel like I had not a normal set of expectations. It was more more curiosity than I usually feel for a movie. I'm, I'm definitely curious, but I'll like go into a Nolan movie and be like, oh, I know what to expect here. I'm really excited, but I know kind of what to expect. Or you know, I'll read a lot of reviews of something that comes out while, you know, I'm alive. And uh, the, about a year before I was born. Um, but uh, I'll, uh, you know, you have expectations going in. Besides some famous lines, like, I love the smell of napalm in the morning, uh, the horror, the horror, and some famous shots, like uh, Martin Sheen coming out of the water with his, like, um, camouflage on. Um, I did not know what to expect. I didn't know quite what kind of war movie it was going to be. I don't know a lot about Vietnam. I'm not a good student of history. And I had read too that, that you know, when it first came out, there was like, there was a, actually a lot of like um, tempered reaction right at first. Some people liked it. Some people hated it. Some people were like, didn't know what it was doing, da 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 da, da. Until, you know, Oscars came and, you know, it's, it's you know, this, this movie. Um, and, and also Martin Sheen, who is a good actor who I like, I never thought of as being that great, if that makes sense. And, you know, he anchors the movie and a lot of the, 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 well, not a lot, but like Dennis Hopper and Marlon Brando, they show up for just a little bit of time. These are, you know, actors who maybe have a little more esteem perhaps, um, than Martin Sheen. And so it was the most curious I've been about a movie in years. Um, and I, and I didn't, I, I thought I, you could hate this. You could love this. I just didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to make of it. If I'm being honest, you know, and, and it's, it's a very different kind of war movie. I think the funniest thing or the coolest thing is Lawrence Fishburne is in it. And he's like really young and he's super skinny. And oh that, yeah, he I don't plays, think I've ever realized that's him. And I've seen the movie three times. Yeah. Three he plays clean. Places. He plays clean. Um, yeah, and Harrison Ford shows up at the beginning because he, you know, uh, um, so so some of that stuff intrigued me early on. Um, I don't know. I think hopefully that answered most of your question. You know, yeah, I yeah. I, no, I just wanted to know. Yeah, going into it, what your thoughts were. Okay. Yeah. So then you went into it. Uh, how did it meet or match or defy those expectations? Yeah, and I, I forgot to mention that I, I have I have love for Heart of Darkness, which is the Joseph Conrad novel that it's inspired by, based on is probably too strong, but definitely inspired by. Um, yeah, I really liked it. And, and it's one of those movies where I, I guess I hesitate to use the word enjoy. Um, but at the same time, I was compelled the whole time. And cinematography wise like it is absolutely gorgeously shot 
and he did win. I looked it up. I'm pretty sure he won the Oscar if I remember correctly. Um, it is the way they use light and shadow and stuff is, oh my gosh, it, it adds more. And I love cinematography, but it adds more than just about any movie I've ever seen as far as like really interpreting what Coppola is trying to say and how you're supposed to, to feel because it's as, as you have in some of our notes here, it's very surreal. And, and as far as like what the movie is saying, I, I, I think it, Coppola meant there to be ambiguity and the cinematography just really contributes to that in, in interesting, smart and clever ways. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I had a very similar reaction to my first time. Uh, and similar expectations as well. Um, when I first watched this movie, only a couple of years ago is when I saw it for the first time. Uh, but I, I find it interesting that neither you or I would say we like war movies. Yeah. Um, and for me, I, I, of course, also don't have that experience. And uh, I think a big part of my, uh, I guess, hesitance or reluctance to watch them is more of an ideological thing that, like, I just have found uh, that war is just so much more of a complicated thing than it ever gets made out to be. And I, I tend to be bothered, I guess, by um, how it gets simplified in movies a lot of the time. And I, I, I know we have war heroes and I'm grateful that we have war heroes, but I think so many war movies are guilty of just styling it down to, here's this amazing person that fought for your freedom or whatever, let's all celebrate. The U.S. did nothing wrong. Everybody go home and, you know, go to sleep or whatever. So that's why I don't usually love them. So I find it, uh, I love Apocalypse Now, though, obviously. Um, given that you and I, as uh, not usually being fans of war movies um, for our own reasons, but both liking Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse Now <laughs> if I can say it, um, do you think that says anything about the movie's status as a war movie, or I've even seen it debated online before whether it should be considered a war movie because of how little fighting there actually is and it's long runtime. Right, right. Eric, did you want to add something real quick? I had a quick question just on, I, I talked to Chad a little bit on this, so I know his answer to this, but were you guys watching and do you, have you seen a difference in between the couple versions? I know there's the Redux, the final cut, and I guess what was just, uh, put out in the theaters the first time. I that remember when I was trying. To, yeah, when I was trying to find it, I, I when I was in college when I first saw it, I kept finding the Redux, and I couldn't find like the original one. So I think that's the one that I have seen, which I think is the longer one. It's very long. Um, well, and that, and that's that reminded me is I'm like I remember it was super long. I mean, it was three hours or so, and so I was curious which one. Yeah, Jake and I talked about this briefly. Uh, before before we started, I saw the theatrical version. That's the one that's on HBO Go. Okay. Jake was saying, you've seen Redux, Jake, or you've only seen Final Cut? So I've seen each version once. Like that's oh, my nice. experience with the movie. Beautiful. So I kind of, because I've seen each one only once, including the original theatrical version, I don't really remember what the differences are exactly. Except and, that Redux is longer. Right. And Eric, I read about it before you and I texted, I read, I don't want to say extensively, but I read for a little while and I found a comparison and there were a lot of scenes. There were small things, tiny, small things, but then there are two huge scenes that are put back into Redux 
And then uh, one of those scenes is mostly cut out of the final cut version. Um, and when I read about it, I'll be honest, I felt like, again, I just read, I, unlike Jake, I haven't seen them all. When I read, it felt like the shorter theatrical version was the one that I would enjoy the most. Uh -huh. because they there's more ambiguity there's less some scenes that just feel like they're there for nothing and 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 the focus on getting to where they're going is made more clear and to jump back to your original question jake i think you hit on it perfectly as you were speaking i was like yes exactly is I, i've and i haven't seen platoon i haven't seen a lot of war movies but of the war movies i've seen no movie has ever got at the ambiguity and the moral quandary of war better than apocalypse now like just the way that like they encounter these things and deal with them and the the sudden deaths that happen and then especially when he gets to to kurtz and he has the conversations with dennis hopper and he sees kind of how they're living there and then all the conversations with marlon brando and of course, the horror, the horror, and of, and Robert Duvall, who was nominated for an Oscar and who's fantastic, who delivers I Love the Smell of Napalm in the Morning. Like, I've never seen something so tuned in to, like, nobody can say they understand war. You know what I mean? Coppola's whole message seemed to be like, oh, yeah. how in the world could any of us if we've been in it, if we haven't, if we've seen movies, if we haven't, how could we understand the moral cost of war, the impact of war, et cetera? And I just really, really, that really resonated with me. Um, and like, there was no real good guy. There was no real bad guy. We, we, we uh, relate to Martin Sheen because he's, to Willard, because he's the main character. And yet he does some things where you're just like, what? And, and then he, it has voiceover, like this is, I saw The Thin Red Line a couple years ago, and this is the movie The Thin Red Line was like trying to be, and, and personally, I think Apocalypse Now is way better. Thin Red Line tries to be poetic, and it has all this like uh, narration, but the narration here really like amplifies what they're going through, and then sometimes undercuts what they're going through. Yeah, I, I was, as someone who's, you know, never... I don't have a lot of uh, I don't have a lot of friends in the military, and I don't have a lot of family members who are in the military. This was the first time I really felt like I could even like wrap my head around the way that it would mess with you, and like make you feel good and make you feel terrible and make you feel like you don't understand ever what morality is in the rest of your life. Cool. Do you? Do you feel like it holds up? This is one question I had because I, I discussed this with a with a buddy of mine. Uh, I don't know if he listens or not, but Josh Phelan. And he had just watched it and he was asking me why, what stands out. And I'm just curious, does it hold up for you guys? Is this, what, 79, 1979, yeah. I think? Is it, does it hold up? I would say, like, this is one of the things that I often – dislike when I watch old movies is I'm like, I get why this was good, but it doesn't feel good anymore. That's not how Apocalypse Now felt for me. I was like, no one has made a movie that, and again, I haven't seen Platoon, which I, I hear is the most like straight across comparison. I hear um, as far as understanding the, the tenet of war being held. But when I watched this, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, this, this holds up 100% for me. Oh, same, 100%. It feels modern somehow, like I think just in its assessment of the situation and uh, 
the cinematography, like Chad already mentioned, is just like, it, like actually jaw dropping. And I it's think incredible. it's such a great example of how our modern movies suffer from the ability to make artificial shots because there are just so many incredible real on location uh, shots throughout that whole movie. Um, I, I highly recommend Platoon. Uh, I, I have seen both. Um, Platoon is much more straightforward, I think. Uh, it's, I mean, it just has less of the like surrealism, but it's definitely sure. still about, it's just an anti-war movie about Vietnam and uh, some of the uh, iffier things that happen there. Well, and I, I wanted to add too, they talk about how people have used the right of the Valkyries uh, for, for pro-military things. There, I read an interview where the guy was like, yeah, when I was like into military, blah, 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 or whatever, they showed us that scene as like a, a way to get us excited. And I think that's why Apocalypse Now works so well is Coppola and his team are weaving in these images. You've got the surreal things, you've got the straight ahead things, you've got the, hey, America is doing the right thing. And then who, who knows what the heck is going on? And that's all happening at the same time. And that's what really gives it its power is, is the idea that it's not preaching X thing and you have to take this away from it. Um, I think that that's what makes it work so well. Yeah, great. Um, I think that was a great final comment. So maybe we should just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Coppola, man, uh, weird. Because I, I started reading a little bit about him and how basically since Apocalypse Now, most people think he hasn't made that great of a movie. <laughs> right. Godfather, Godfather 2, Apocalypse Now, like, is this the greatest filmmaker of all time? And then after that, and, and I happen to be a big fan of The Rainmaker, which is a really low-key thing. But And he had done The Conversation, too, before that. So he's like, these four movies that some people would say, you know, are four of the best movies, you know, the best 50 movies of all time, some people would say. Um, and uh, then after that, mostly nothing. It's very, it's very strange. Very strange. All right, Eric, let's, uh, let's, so Apocalypse Now is on HBO Go. Ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you have an HBO subscription and you've never seen it, uh, it's worth seeing. And it's especially worth seeing even if you just love cinematography because Jake used the word jaw-dropping. And I, I got to tell you, like, I was unprepared for how incredibly well shot it was. I didn't know that it was, like, upper echelon. We did our cinematography episode, and I, I have no doubt it would have been in my top whatever we did if I had seen it before, because it's just pretty incredible. So if even if you just love beautiful movies, go go check out uh, Apocalypse Now. And now I'll turn it over to Eric and Jake, and I'll try to shut up as they talk about Shawshank. Cool. Chime in whenever you'd like. Okay. Uh, so Shawshank Redemption, 1994. Uh, Frank Darabont, the first uh, directorial debut for him. Shot by uh, director of photography, Roger Deakins. Uh, tagline, fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. Um, what were your, what did you know about this movie? Just to start it off, uh, Jake, what was your initial, you know, what did you heard about it? Did you know anything? Were you interested in it? Was this like, oh man, let's make me watch Shawshank. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It was like, it was a combination of Aman Shawshank, but like also so much relief because it's been arguably the biggest gap in my like unseen classics uh, ever. And 
I've avoided it for so long and I just needed someone to tell me to watch it. So I am so glad that you did. So had you like, had you mentally, like, had you tried to avoid it? Was there a reason you were trying I mean, to not? Was that methodic or is that just, ah, we didn't get around to it? I, I wouldn't have ran out of the room if someone had put it on at some point. But uh, I... I just wasn't interested because here's all I knew that it was prison movie and like super inspirational. Um, and as far as uh, I, I've always thought of it as like the most commonly cited, like best movie of all time, but more like by like, it's the number one ever on IMDb. So I just, I guess I thought of it as like, this is what uh, people like the most, but it's not necessarily, like I haven't heard it mentioned that way as much in like uh, critic land, which is fine. It's whatever. I didn't. It's not like I only respect the opinion of critics and don't respect the opinions of people. But I just thought of it as okay, it's this inspirational movie that literally everyone loves, and I I tend to go into inspirational movies kind of on the defense because I'm like I don't I don't want you to just manipulate my emotions. Um, so I guess that's why it's just never been something I sought out because I'm like. I'm not going to like it as much as everyone wants me to, and it's going to want to inspire me, and I'm not going to want to be inspired, so I'm just going to be a little bored about it. That's why I never have. Cool. Cool, cool. Okay, <laughs> uh, so now you've seen it. Um, uh, you you made it through. Uh, personally, I'm impressed you hadn't seen it, because like, I feel like every time I watch TNT, it's on. It's like every week it's on at some point. You watch 10 o'clock at night. Nine o'clock in the morning, whenever you're, you have the TV on, you're bound to catch it. That said, I also think it's one of those movies where, like, I will catch it in the middle of the movie, and I can still be, oh, yeah, I'll watch this. Here we go. We're starting it right where we're at. No problem with that. Can um, I ask, is it your, like, is it in your top ten of all time or, like, favorite I don't think status? it's in my top ten of all time, but I think, for me, like, before I was into analyzing movies, it was one that I really liked. Like it was just, it was kind of like just a, oh, that's a cool movie. I think some of the themes, I, I think it's easy for some of the themes to to resonate with just the modern audience, like an everyday viewing audience. I think it has some, you connect to you. I think the characters in it are pretty humanistic, relatable characters. and And I think everyone, you know, has in some sense a Shawshank that they're dealing with or whatever. So I think I think there are some things that are easy to relate to for a general audience. I don't know if it. I don't think I don't think it would hold up in my top ten all time, but it's it's really good. I really like it. You know. Okay. So I was excited okay. for you to see it and experience it. Um, a couple things that stood out to me. Well, if any of these things, you're welcome to jump in, Chad. You too. Uh, feel free to jump in. Um. So it's adapted from Stephen King, um, and that was something that was, I guess, downplayed a lot when this first came out. Um, from Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption was the uh, novella's title. Uh, for me, in watching the film, characters that stood out, uh, for me, that you've got Red, and you've got Andy, and then for me, the bad guy, I know you got the warden, but Captain Hadley, for me, his performance was fantastic. I, I, every time I watch it, that's one of the standout things for me is Clancy Brown, I believe is his name. 
And you've got Tim Robbins, who, you know, has a solid resume. And Morgan Freeman, who's in everything. Um, shout out Morgan Freeman. Shout out to Morgan Freeman. Hope he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> then just a couple other little things. Uh, I don't know, any characters that stood out to you in your first watching of it, Jake? And, and Chad, you can chime in as well. Um, yeah, Morgan Freeman's really great. I was, uh, to start touching a little bit on its Oscar situation, um, I had no idea that it was nominated for seven uh, Oscars and won zero of them. Uh, yeah. But uh, like Morgan Freeman, best actor, I would have been totally fine with him winning that uh, that year over Tom Hanks. It was Tom Hanks that year, right? I think. For, yeah, it was Tom um, Hanks. So it went up against Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction that year. So it was a big year for film. Um, okay. So anyway, yeah, I really enjoyed Red. Uh, really enjoyed Brooks as well. Um, and Brooks. Yeah, Brooks genuinely sad at the way that uh, his story turned out, for sure. Yeah. So those were probably uh, my two favorite characters. Okay. So the uh, nominations you touched on, 94 was a big year. Uh, Best Picture was nominated for Best Actor for Freeman. Adapted Screenplay. Uh, Frank Darabont wrote the screenplay on that one. Cinematography, Roger Deakins. Um, film editing, original music score, and sound mixing. Those were the seven nominations, of which won none of them. Um, yeah, so that, that actually is one of my questions. I'll, I'll lead off with that. Is uh, Looking at those, I guess you already said Morgan Freeman, maybe. Would you reconsider any of those? I don't know where, you, where Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump stand in your... Uh, you know, um, yeah. echelon of movies. I would have been okay with Shawshank winning over Forrest Gump, but I think if I was voting that year, I would have voted Pulp Fiction for Best Picture. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, Morgan Freeman for sure uh, would have been great and fine with me. Um, I gotta say, well shot by Deacons. I just, for this particular movie, there weren't necessarily shots that I was like, it wasn't cinematography that... Uh, stood out to me but it's not like it was bad cinematography it was just great solid deacons uh cool. everything else though i don't know so i'm gonna start to reveal my opinion here which was like i i like this movie more than i expected to um but i think all of the it, it was gonna be almost impossible for it to meet the expectations of so many people telling me it's their favorite movie over the years that uh it was just like this was good and everything about it was well done but uh, I guess to keep my answer in the realm of the Oscars, I, I don't think I would have been like, this has got to win everything at the Oscars this year. Um, yeah. But I'll say more about that in a minute when we move away from the Oscars. But that, that's about where I sat with it when it came to, I thought it should have won things. Cool. Um, Chad, this can be opened up for you as well. Any memorable scenes or any memorable scenes that stood out to you, Jake, the first time viewing, and then we'll give it to Chad. Anything that stood out to him, and I'll clean it up with the ones that I had if they don't get touched on. Um, yeah, there were definitely, uh, being a classic I hadn't seen, there were definitely things um, in it that I hadn't realized were like references that uh, other things had been referencing to it. You know what I mean? Like the escape reveal itself. Like mm -hmm. I could, not that I'm a super. Um, 
no, I, I'm not good at predicting movies, but I was like, oh, I know how the escape reveal is going to happen because I've seen this in other things, but I, I fully understand those other things were referencing the Shawshank Redemption. I just never had realized it. But, you know, the, the whole thing hidden behind the thing, spoilers for the Shawshank Redemption, I guess. Uh, but I thought that reveal was really well executed and kind of thrilling, honestly. And, uh, and the flash then to him crawling through the sewers and all that was, um, was good, was memorable. Um, Chad, you got any? Well, I think of any more that stood out. Yeah, I, and I, I haven't seen Shawshank for a couple years. We, we own it, and I think I've seen it twice, but it's been some years since I saw it. But, so correct me if I, if I incorrectly um, set the scene here. I apologize, but uh, the scene where Andy plays music to the prison yard. Yeah, um, yep, yep. on kind yeah, of that yeah. like that like gramophone thing or whatever I, I don't remember um and and gets in trouble for it like he sacrifices if i recall correctly he sacrifices he basically knows he's going to get in trouble but he's going to do it anyway that that sticks out to me probably the most um yeah. and of course just the the really subtle reveal of red red walking up at the end just with him kind of with his stuff nice. and <clears throat> and of and and I think uh, if I recall correctly too, isn't uh is this is this where Red keeps getting his parole denied? Yeah, three times and, he gets put up. But then parole. the last time, the his little speech is like you wouldn't expect it. But then that's when he gets. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. I remember that working effectively, uh, even though it's been some years. Since I, yeah, since I nice. I'll add the uh, the I already mentioned it, but the end of Brooks's story just the letter yeah. that he writes at the end they you hear the voiceover of them reading it as you see what his life on the outside is like i thought uh, that scene was will stick with me as well for sure awesome yeah the voiceover work i guess uh morgan freeman did the voiceover work early in this film uh which is not the normal i guess no. usually post-production yes but he did that early so they kind of set the tone of that and i mean it's really good. What I understand is he had to re-record it because there was something wrong with the first version, but he did it initially before they even started in. Um, but uh, I would say a couple of the scenes that's really stood out to me. The beginning when you see Shawshank, you see the prison for the first time. Uh, Deacons does this just over-the-top view where you just see the whole uh, you see the whole prison. It just takes you over the whole top. But I think it's a really powerful scene just to introduce Shawshank and and where they're headed and where the story's going to take place. Um, the, the initial scene where Andy and Red meet each other, I guess, so this was Frank Darabont's first, uh, first directorial debut. And so he was, these were really long shoots. And apparently Roger Deakins and Frank really clashed on a lot of, on certain things. Interesting. Uh, in this production. Also, Morgan Freeman, I guess, had some. But this this shot, I guess that initial scene took like nine hours. So it was nine hours of him throwing uh, baseball back and forth. Oh, and my playing gosh. Catch, you know? So, like, I guess the day after that scene, Morgan Freeman comes with a wrapped-up arm, uh, just kind of elaborating <laughs> a little bit. There, there was some friction on it from what I, from my, what I read up on it. Um, but I thought that was a cool, cool scene where they, they meet each other and just kind of have some casual conversation. The music of the speakers, I think, is a big one. Uh, one of the ones I always remember uh, that's impactful for me was the the beer on top of the roof yeah. uh, where they they get the group of guys. It's very humanizing. I feel like prison movies, a lot of times, it's just like, oh, you're in the prison, that's your life, da-da-da-da-da, you did something wrong, you didn't think you did something wrong, but, like, 
I think that's one of the key scenes to me that makes the makes the story gel uh, and really makes you look at these people like they're real people. Like they, they really want to be humanized. It really humanizes that whole, um, that whole scene. Um, basically Andy helps out the, the uh, Captain Hadley, tells him how he's going to be able to save some money and uh, does it all in exchange for them getting uh, some drinks and, and being able to sit on top of the roof after they did some work for him. So um brooks you've mentioned that one as well um the other thing that really stands out to me is there's a lot of quotes i saw this when i was in high school so i mean we were into quoting everything but they're most most of them are inappropriate so i'm not going to repeat them but there's <laughs> just some there's some great one-liners um stuff that is in just my general dialogue that i will i will spare you you from um <laughs> I, as I watched it and thought a little bit about it, I thought the religious context of it, this is a question I had for you, is um, to what extent did you find the religious context in it? Did you, did you notice that at all while you were watching it? Um, yeah, what was just your general uh, thoughts on, on how it looks at religion, I guess, in a sense? Uh, I was a little surprised, honestly, um, just because given... Uh, I guess when it came out, given what I expected of, with like the sentimentality going into it, I definitely, like if you would ask me to guess yes or no, if like religion was going to play a part in the redemption aspect of the story as, as named in the title, um, mm -hmm. I would have thought for sure. So I do find, I found it very interesting that uh, I guess the biggest way religion's addressed in the movie is through, uh, what's his name? The, uh, the Norton. The, the uh, warden, right? That's, uh, yeah, that like is kind of like militant about uh, enforcing his beliefs on everyone else and uh, in a very negative way, a very unchristian way. Um, yeah. And so I, I was surprised by it. Um, uh, other than that, I, I don't know. Did you, uh, what are your thoughts on it? It wasn't something that I initially noticed with it. Um, but as I've watched it now, I've watched it several times. Like, I don't even know how many times I've watched it and caught it on TNT and all those channels that it's on. Um, but I, I just, I mean, I know the redemption's in the title, but a lot of times it's just, um, I don't know, it's just something that stood out to me, I think, this last time a little bit more. Um, and some of that, like you mentioned, the hypocrisy from the warden and how um, he's very stuck to that faith element, but at the same time, he's you know embezzling he's doing bad things he's you know running a a bad place um anyways and then the second question i had the final one um hope in the film is a is one of the main themes um what did you think of some of the characters attitudes towards hope yeah i saw this question and i was like damn eric you're asking me to write an essay here uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, describe each of the characters attitudes toward hope uh, no i i do i did find it interesting though the uh yeah the variety in the ways that they all either have or don't have hope or what they choose to place their hope in um i i, I keep coming back to him but brooks in particular i think it was heartbreaking how um 
after he left, he found that his only, well, really even before he left, I guess, he had realized his only hope for living any kind of, uh, I guess, life that is worth it to him still lie, lie, would just be in the prison still. Um, whereas, of course, for, uh, man, I'm so bad with movie names, Andy, main character, um, hmm. his hope lies in getting out, you know, which is, uh, of course, an interesting kind of uh, dichotomy there of those two different ways of looking at it. So that stood out to me the most is just uh, Andy's hope lies in getting out, whereas I, I like that they represented the idea of someone's hope being in staying in. And I mean, and that being only really because he's been kept in prison all this time anyway, and it, it made it, so that was his only hope really. But, uh, but I, I did like that uh, comparison. Nice. Yeah, I I think for me, each of those characters kind of viewing hope in a different light, I think is important. Um, and then uh, just kind of exploring where where you fit in those things. I think analyzing, you know, yourself and, and how that, you know, resonates. I think it's very, it's, you just see how different people, different personalities deal with those things. I think it's easy to relate to um, a modern audience and, and what your interpretation of that is. So. All right. Yeah, those are my big key points. Um, I just want to add, uh, so I did, I did like it. Um, and what I liked the most about it, I think, was the element of humanizing prisoners, and uh, which I feel like was decently kind of a, a new idea for the time, like somewhat. Um, I'm probably missing some, but like the only other uh, kind of major movie I can think of before that year was like decades earlier. I know there was Cool Hand Luke starring Paul Newman. Um, I really like that movie. That kind of similar in that it it's about the camaraderie of prison, basically. Um, but I think Shawshank. Uh, I think especially if I had seen it earlier, I would have liked it even more because I've seen other things now that I think have taken some inspiration from that prison camaraderie. Uh, namely, I'm thinking of like. Um, on the female prison side, Orange is the New Black, or uh, still on the in male prisons in uh, The Night Of, another TV series that explored the nuances of like, how do people end up here? Do they all deserve to be here? Do they deserve to be here for this long? How should they be treated? Should they be punished or rehabilitated? Um, and so I think because I've seen these other things that ask those questions and go even a little bit further, that I had a little bit of an effect with Shawshank of like, I've seen this before, but in more detail. But I think if I had seen Shawshank before those other things, I would have been like, I loved it. Maybe as much as everyone else, because I would have been like, yes, this is groundbreaking. I think the Cool Hand Luke comparison is interesting. For me, Cool Hand Luke is very focused on Luke. Like Luke's the dude. Luke is like, that's, that's who you're focused on. For me, when I view that, when I see Shawshank, it's like that whole group, them all surviving, them all dealing with uh, coming to grips with life in prison, and then you know, as they as they move into a new phase, going back into reality, into into the world after. Um, yeah, I think those are two really cool comparisons. Nice. Well, this what I wanted to finish with was just we could have easily done whole episodes on all three of these movies. Shawshank's on Netflix too, right? Netflix. Um, but but here's the thing is all three of these movies they're going to give you a lot to think about none of them are cut and dry yes there's a little maybe more sentimentality at the end of Shawshank Redemption than either of the others 
Um, but all of them are going to challenge your beliefs in interesting ways. They're going to make you think about the world and yourselves. Um, and they're really well made. So if you have the chance uh, to see, I, I would say any of the three of these, I, I don't think any of us disliked any of the three of these movies, but we have varying levels, right, of love for them. But these are challenging, interesting, well-acted, well-made movies that are in your quarantine time, you know, are well worth checking out if you haven't or rechecking out if it's been a while since, since you saw them. Um, and then um, listen next week, we'll have another episode up. Um, for those of you listening, our top five favorite sports movies of all time, um, which, you know, we're going to record very soon, but which you will hear <laughs> a week after you listen to this one. Um, so thank you guys. Uh, this was a really great episode. We'll probably do this in a recurring fashion because it was really nice to focus on the one and get a chance to kind of bounce ideas and, and bring up something to it where we're like, hey, we like this movie. We want you to you check it out too so we can have a conversation about it. Thanks a lot, um, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.